This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. Paul understood that, man, he had the message of Christ and he owed it to those around him to share that message. I'm a debtor to the Greeks and the barbarians, to the wise and the unwise, to be able to share Paul was the kind of guy that he could go to Mars Hill there in Athens and debate with the philosophers of his time the things of Christ. And at the same time, he could be at the very pit of a jail and speak with prisoners about the reality and the truths of Christ. In today's message, Pastor David will give us an exhortation to be an example. You see, as believers, we're called to share the truth of the gospel with others. While sharing the Word is a great way to do that, there are also other ways to share the good news. One of the best ways is by example. As we live our lives committed to the truth, people should be able to see God's grace at work in us. They should be able to see what it looks like to live as a child of God. And it should be our heart that they desire what we have. Let's join Pastor David in the book of Romans, chapter 1, verse 8 for the conclusion of our message entitled, Unashamed. Exemplary lives. They became examples. In other words, people could look at them and they say, you know what? They live their life different than the rest of us. They do things in a totally different way than the rest of us. Their choices of entertainment, their choices of, again, direction and purpose and plan in life, Their attitudes are different. Their heart is different. They treat people different. And so they became examples to the world that's around them. How about us today? Are we that kind of a way? Are we examples to the world around us? Or does the world look at us and say, eh, pretty much the same as everybody else, except they're usually busy on Sunday morning, usually. Does the world really see that there is a difference that is built in within you and I because we've come to Christ? question is, is how does the world know that there's faith in Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande, in the people who attend here? Is it because there is a difference? When we go to the restaurant, do we treat our waiter and waitresses different than the rest of the world, even when we get terrible service? When we're dealing with people out in the world at the workplace, co-workers with us, our employers or employees, do we treat them different than the rest of the world? Are our jobs done with a more tenacity and commitment than anyone else because of Christ? Are we being an example so that outside the people start saying, man, there is something different about them? It ought to be that way. Everything that we do in our families, in our jobs, in our neighborhoods, everything. We ought to live our lives as an example to the world around us that we are the redeemed. And if we're not living like the redeemed, then the question is, is are we really and truly the redeemed? Next, we see that they testified openly of their faith. In verse 8, he says, For from you... The word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. They sounded out their faith. They proclaimed the reality of Jesus Christ. 
How and where they did that, we don't know, but I do know this, that they were verbal about it. They had to be verbal about it. There was no such thing at that point in time as a stealth Christian, as an underground believer, as a silent witness. As a matter of fact, I dare say if we were to come to them today and suddenly be transformed, heard back 2,000 years ago, and they start speaking to us about our faith. And we say, well, no, I've, I've never shared with anyone my faith. I'm just kind of a silent witness for Christ. And they would point to those that are in prison because of the testimony of Christ. They'd speak of those who are thrown into the Colosseum and fed to wild animals because of their testimony for Christ. They would speak to those who are literally cut in half with sword because of their testimony for Christ. And we dare say that, no, I'm a Silent witness for Christ. How is our faith known? It's by speaking of the things of God and proclaiming the reality of Christ in our life. And if we're not willing to do that, then the question is, is is there really that faith in our life? And where is the boldness of Christ in our life? They testified openly. One of the other things that we see very plainly, they turned from sin. There was true repentance in their lives. It says there in verse 9, For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, and how you had turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God. They turned from the idols. They were right in the midst. That whole culture there was so surrounded by so many idols of every sort and type imaginable. You think, well, man, praise God, we don't live in those times anymore. Oh, we don't? We've got just as many idols. They're just not statues and and carvings that are idols. No, many times they come in a lot of other different ways. Everything from our own fame and fortune to our own pleasures and desires. Idols beyond number that we could speak about this morning. And he says, you guys turned from your idols to serve the living and true God. There was an actual and real repentance in their lives. And unfortunately today, too many times the gospel message comes out and it proclaims that, you know, God just loves you and wants to give you just a a full and meaningful life. And if you'll just receive Christ, everything's going to be fine. Rather than declaring the truth that, no, man, you are in sin, and until you turn from your sin and cry out to God, you are destined for an eternity in hell. That is the reality of the gospel message. And we'll speak about that in a minute. But for them, they knew what it meant. I could either follow the way of the world, which is following all of the idol and my own selfish pleasure, or I could turn and I could follow the true and living God in my life. And for them, the reality of that change was apparent, not only there in Macedonia and Achaia, but all throughout that area. Fifthly, It says that there was an anticipated return of Jesus Christ. They lived with anticipation. They expected the Lord to come back at any moment, at any time. You know what? That kind of excitement would put all of us literally on our toes and on our best behavior. If I had that vision that says, you know what, today at 4 o'clock this afternoon, the Lord Jesus is coming back. I've got that special revelation. First of all, you could call me nuts and says, no, no man knows the hour and the time, but just go with the flow here for a moment, if you would. Do you think that the next four or five hours of your life would be different if you knew for certain that the Lord Jesus Christ was coming back at any moment today? 
for most of us, we know it would be. Suddenly, some things that we think are kind of important now would take much lesser importance in our lives. Suddenly, other things would gain greater importance. They lived with that kind of anticipation. There was that kind of fire within their life that says, man, the Lord is coming back at any moment. He says there that you've turned from the idols, you serve the living and true God, and you wait for the Son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Basically, I think you could say that overall the church in Thessalonica was unashamed of the gospel. They were unashamed of what God had done in their life. They were unashamed of the choices that they had made. They were unashamed to proclaim verbally of the truth of their faith. And unfortunately, many believers today, in the comfort and the ease and the freedom that we have to proclaim Christ have never, ever shared their faith with anyone. In that culture, sharing your faith could put you in prison. In our culture today, somebody might even laugh at you. Somebody might even really, I mean, they might get really dirty and nasty and call you a fanatic. In that culture, they took their lives. In that culture, they imprisoned them. You know what's scary? I think we're getting that close to being in that culture once again. Should the Lord tarry, it's going to be harder and harder. But you know, right now, we have relative freedom to be able to speak of the hope that's within you. Being ready both in season and out of season to give reason for the hope that's within you. Unashamed of the gospel of Christ. Well, let's go back to Romans chapter 1 still. Verses 11 through 15. Paul writes to him, he says, For I, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now, I don't want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as also the other Gentiles. For I am a debtor both to the Greeks and the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. Paul had a great desire to see them in Rome. He had never been to Rome. Remember, he's writing this while he's in Corinth. And though he may have known some of the people personally, he had never been to that church in Rome. And he had this great desire to be able to go there and to be with them. But it was much more than just kind of hanging out with the guys and fellowshipping with them over a cup of coffee. There's some particular things that he speaks here. He says, first of all, I, I want to come to you in order that I might impart to you some spiritual gift. You think, well, what does he mean by a spiritual gift? Well, I believe that what Paul is speaking of is, man, I just want to come and bless you by being there to be able to open up more clearly to you the Word of God. And what a gift that is. What a blessing that is to be able to understand more clearly, more completely, the Word of God. And that's the other thing, the point that he has, to be encouraged himself not only to encourage them in the word, but Paul also knew that by him going to them, that he would be encouraged himself. And how is that so? Any of you who have ever taught a Bible study, you've been a teacher, you know how encouraged you are when you open up the word and suddenly you see people get it. 
Suddenly, man, the, the light comes on, and, and how encouraging that is for you. And I believe that that's what Paul is saying, man. I, too, want to be encouraged by coming and being with you and just sharing that time. And what a blessing it is to be able to open up the Word, and all of a sudden you see literally the light coming on in people's minds. That's what that is. Now I get it. And I believe that that's an encouragement for Paul. This isn't going to be a battle. Paul isn't going into the lion's den here when he's fellowshipping with his church. No, this is a sweetness, a time of just opening up the word together. But there's a third thing, too, that he speaks. And he says, I want to come there in verse 13, that I might have some fruit among you also. Now, that doesn't mean that Paul wants to go to Rome and and have a bowl of Aunt Susie's fruit salad. That's not what he's speaking about. He says, I want to bear fruit. And the fruit that we know that he's speaking of is spiritual fruit. Fruit that, again, we see the growth of Christ in people's lives. That suddenly, again, the word taking root and growing and prospering and bearing that spiritual fruit. That lives become changed because of the power of God's word. Paul says in verse 14 and 15, he says, I'm a debtor. I think, well, who would Paul be a debtor to? Well, real quickly, you could think that, well, Paul ought to be a debtor, you would imagine, to the Jews and to the the teachings that he'd grown up from as a child, the implanting of the Word of God in his life and the, the promises of the Scripture and the prophetic messages. And yet he says peculiarly here, He says, I'm a debtor to the Greeks and the barbarians. To the Greeks and the barbarians. How in the world could Paul be a debtor to the Greeks and the barbarians? Well, there's a couple of things you need to understand. In the Jewish culture, there were two kinds of people. There were the Jews, and then there was everybody else. The Gentiles. There was only two kinds of people, Jews and Gentiles. Well, for the Greek culture, it was kind of the same way. There were the Greeks and the Romans that were kind of intermixed at that point in time. And then there were the barbarians. Everybody else was barbarian. You were either of a Greek culture or you are barbarians. And anyone who did not speak Greek at that time, they considered barbarians. Anyone who did not have the language and the culture of the Greeks, they were barbarians. Paul says not only the Greeks and the barbarians, but also the wise and the unwise that he's a debtor to. Why would he be a debtor to these kinds of people? I believe because Paul understood and knew that even though he was a Jew, he was one who had been saved miraculously by the power of God in such a dynamic way. And he knew that he was totally unworthy. In his writings, Paul says, man, I am chief of all sinners. Paul understood that, man... He had the message of Christ, and he owed it to those around him to share that message. I'm a debtor to the Greeks and the barbarians, to the wise and the unwise, to be able to share. Paul was the kind of guy that he could go to Mars Hill there in Athens and debate with the philosophers of his time the things of Christ. And at the same time, he could be at the very pit of a jail and speak with prisoners about the reality and the truths of Christ. Paul was a man who could go to a small little stream bed in in the town of Philippi and talk to a bunch of women who were gathered there together and open up to them the reality of the truth of Jesus Christ. Or he could stand in a synagogue and he could proclaim the reality of the message of the Jewish Messiah being Jesus. Every culture, every direction, 
nation, no matter the wise, the unwise, the Greek, the barbarian, the Jew, the Gentile. Basically, you could say that in Paul's life, there were absolutely no barriers found in the gospel, that he could speak to anyone at any time about the gospel. And yet for you and I, for our Christian culture today, so many times we even put limits on saying, you know what, this person would never receive. Either this person is so high and out of it, or they're so low and out of it. This person is so bad and wicked, they'll never receive it. Or this person is so good, they'll never receive it. Paul says there are no barriers. Wise or unwise, Greek or barbarian, all of them need the gospel. And I'm a debtor to them to bring that message to them, to proclaim that truth to them, because of all that Christ had done for me. Paul himself, unashamed, he was unbound, and he was faithful in the gospel. Not just for a newspaper headline, but for the proclamation of the gospel. Paul wanted to be found faithful and active in the work of God. Always abounding, always speaking, always faithful. The power verse that sets the course of all the rest of Romans is found in verse 16. Verse 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. That power verse, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Understanding the very power of God that works for us, folks, in this minefield that we call the book of Romans, I believe it becomes for us that, that five-sided nugget that is so precious and so available to us. It's one of the great ones that we see as we're going into Romans. And it's right there available for us to be able to, to pick up. What does he speak there? He says, man, it is the gospel of Christ. What is the gospel of Christ? Just as he tells us in Corinthians, that Christ died, he was buried, and he was raised on the third day for you and I. That's the simplicity of the gospel. The reality that man must repent of his sin, turn to God, receive that forgiveness. And God has opened hands to receive him into his life. That God will do the work in our lives if we are open simply to receive the truth of the message. That's the gospel of Christ. That's the power of God under salvation. It's not my power. It's not my abilities. It's not through ceremonies or traditions. It's not through any other thing other than the power of God that brings about salvation. And it's to everyone who believes. Everyone who believes. Paul is going to a culture here in Rome, just as he's gone out through Asia, as he's left Israel. He's going into a culture that is totally foreign to him as being a good Pharisee, always away from those kinds of things. But as he's moving into this culture, he is coming more and more aware that the Messiah, Jesus Christ, was available for everyone who believes. And the fact that the righteousness of God is revealed how is the righteousness of God revealed? Can the righteousness of God be revealed? Because I, as a sinner, God allowed me into his kingdom. How does that reveal the righteousness of God? It's revealed this way. 
And the fact that in order for me to have audience with God, to have relationship with God, the payment still had to be paid. God didn't diminish his righteousness. God didn't diminish his holiness in order to receive you and I. He says, no, my righteous standard is still there, that the wages of sin is death. And that without the shedding of blood, there is no payment for sin. My righteous standard is still there. And so in order to maintain my righteous standard, by my love, I'm sending Christ for you, to die for you. My righteousness does not change. And in my righteousness, I sent Christ. That's how the righteousness of God is revealed in the truth of the gospel. But as I said, this is a five-sided gold nugget. That fifth side is the fact that he says that the just shall live by faith. Now, that's glorious news for anyone who's under the law. If you're under the law that says, you know what, in order to be pleasing to God, you've got to do this and this and this and this. You've got to go through these ceremonies. You've got to do these kind of documents. You've got to abstain from these kind of things. And all this long list of do's and don'ts in order for God to be pleased with you. If you're under that kind of a burden, understand that the gospel message is great freedom for you. Not freedom to sin, but freedom to be able to come before God. Because it says that the just shall live by faith. Not the works that you and I could do, because again, our works could never match it. How is this message known for all of the church of Rome? I believe because they lived it. In reality. And if we went back to that list that spoke about for the Thessalonians, being faithful even through tribulation, living exemplary lives, testifying openly, turning from sin, anticipating Jesus' return, do you think that if we lived that way boldly, with tenacity, and full on in every way, that the faith of the people of Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande would be known throughout our community? You bet it would, because it would make a difference in our lives. It'd make a difference in the lives of those around us. Living our lives full out for Christ, even in the midst of tribulation, even when it's hard for us to stand up for Christ. Living exemplary lives when the rest of the world says, oh, that's no big deal. They just gave you the wrong change. Don't worry about it. Take it. Count it as a bonus. But how much more impressed they would be as we came up to that cashier and said, you know, you, you gave me $10 too much change. Wow. What about 25 cents? Well, that's just that small. No. You gave me 25 cents too much change. Making a difference. Living exemplary lives. Asking forgiveness in someone's life when you've done something. Rather than just saying, oh, no, I'm not into this forgiveness thing. Walking in a way that's humble before man. Oh, not me. Uh-uh. Do you live exemplary lives? testifying openly? Do you speak of the things of Christ? Or is it just with other believers that you're comfortable and maybe just at church is the only comfortable time that you have in speaking of the things of Christ in your life? Turning from sin, making a difference in your life, choosing the right thing, choosing the things that honor God rather than bring pleasure to your own life. And finally, that anticipation of Jesus' return. Too often today, many believers fall into that trap of, well, you know, they've been anticipating, they've been looking forward to the coming of Christ for a long time. I don't think he's going to come very soon. 
Well, I think that you're blind if you think that way. I think that your eyes are totally closed to the situation of life, not only in our own country, but again, as we've said, in the Middle East and watching of Israel. I believe that at any moment, at any time, the Lord could return. Are we ready for that? Are you living a life that would honor your king when suddenly he stands before you? If you're living that kind of life, the reality and the truth of your faith will be made known to the world around you. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What does it mean to confess with the mouth and believe? Well, Pastor David will answer these questions and more as he teaches through the book of Romans. You can get a free copy of today's teaching at our website. Simply log on to www.theopenword.com. That's theopenword.com. Although the open word is a huge blessing, we pray that it's not your only source for the teaching of the word of God. It's our hope that you're attending a church that teaches God's word from beginning to end. If not, we'd like to invite you to join us at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande for worship on Saturday evenings, Sunday mornings, or Wednesday evenings. For service times, driving directions, and more information, log on to theopenword.com and then follow the link to the church website. Finally, we want to encourage you to follow us on Twitter at The Open Word Radio or log on to theopenword.com and follow the link right there on the homepage. Well... That's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to The Open Word with David Landry. Please join us next time as Pastor David continues teaching verse by verse through the book of Romans. That's next time on The Open Word. 